If you like the StuCast, you might want to check out what's going on over at inthemoneypodcast.com and on the In The Money Media Network. We've got a whole bunch of podcasts devoted to horse racing from the player development side to the week in, week out gambling side to the horseman side. There's going to be a show for you. Come check us out in themoneypodcast.com and we look forward to seeing you there. All right, we're back. Stucast number two, volume two, part two, however you want to look at it. We're going to start diving into some teams, some some of the big teams across the country. We got Miami lined up. We got Oregon lined up. Uh, but first up is Texas, and nobody better to talk Texas football than Texas football talk. Jeremy, Clint Lockerbie. Uh, guys, it's so good to talk to you again. I, I, I've been enjoying the shows, and it's been a year, but uh, it's good to see you guys. Yeah, man, uh, Stu, I, I can tell you, I went back and actually uh, listened to a portion of, of, of our first, first show that we did with you, um, obviously around this time last year, um, kind of covering what was going on with Texas football. And I can tell you at that particular point, Texas football talk probably had about 324, 25 subscribers yeah. on, on YouTube. Um, I, I can tell you bad things sell, crazy things sell, drama sells um, in, in what we do. You know, uh, I think since time last time we talked to you, I think Texas had a, a below average, you know, showing uh, in, in football and then had a basketball team that was really, really good. And unfortunately got knocked out in the first round of, of the 64 and then turned around and had a baseball team that uh, uh, made it to the, you know, the College World Series. But in between there, you've, you've, you've fired uh, two coaches, one head coach football, uh, replaced him with Steve Starkeesian and then turned around and, and fired Shock Smart and replaced him with Chris Beard from Texas Tech. And then, um, probably something we're going to dive into today that you didn't expect either. And that's uh, about, you know, three or four days ago, uh, Texas and Oklahoma decided they want to succeed from the Big 12 um, and, and head east. Uh, it looks like just waiting on an invite um, once they formally say they're going to leave the Big 12 um, and wait for an invite to, um, to the SEC, man. Your thoughts, Jeremy, since the last time we, we were without <laughs> No, you're absolutely correct, man. So, Stu, thanks for having us again. We're, we're honored to, to be on your show. No, it's always good uh, like, talking with you guys. Like Clint said, man, it, it, this has been a whirlwind. We joined you probably about this time last year to do kind of a season preview for the University of Texas. Like you said, uh, kind of felt like we had a chance to compete for a Big 12 championship last year. We felt like, you know, uh, Oklahoma was breaking a brand-new quarterback in Spencer Rattler. We felt like we were had a senior – uh, quarterback and Sam Ellinger that was going to lead us probably to a, to a Big 12, you know, title game appearance, if not a championship. And unfortunately, we lost games to TCU and Iowa State and to, against Oklahoma in the Red River, which led, to, like Clint said, Tom Herman's firing, the subsequent hiring of Steve Sarkeesian. And then Clint kind of chronicled how the other sports have done at, in the state of, in the state and, and at the university. But just happy to be here and, and again, talk uh, – this 21 season with you. And of course, probably the move to the SEC is the topic on your mind. Yeah. I mean, I, I kind of share, we were talking a little bit offline. I I'm a little bit higher on Texas this year than most folks. Um, I think the ceiling is, is a lot higher than I, I think some of the prognosticators have put. So, but, so we definitely got to talk Texas, but uh, we'll start with SEC expansion. Clint, you kind of, you know, set the table for us there in that aspect. Look, and, and we're going to talk about it all week, folks. We've got uh, Ari Temkin coming on from the uh, Serious uh, College Football Network. 
Big 12 analysts there. He was actually last last picture I saw of him. He was talking to Coach Sark. Um, so I'd love to get his view on it. That's coming up later this week. But I, I'll be honest. I'll, I'll lead off with this. I, it, I understand it. It makes a ton of sense. If you're a Texas fan, if you're an Oklahoma fan, if you're an SEC fan, it makes a ton of sense. I, I can't knock the hustle. Uh, the other part of me is uh, a little scared slash upset slash um, just angry that this is where college football is going to be. And I think we're getting that that shades of gray towards becoming the NFL now. Um, it, it's, you're going to start seeing that slip into it. Jeremy, where, where's your overall take with this and, and where it's going? Well, Stu, again, we talked offline just a little bit about why we had to make this move. Again, you, you're competing with Alabama, A&M, Florida, LSU. These programs in the SEC are coming into your state and taking your best athletes. And a lot of times uh, Alabama does it because they've won national championships. Uh, but the other schools haven't had the same history as in Alabama, but yet because they have an SEC patch on their on their uniform and could say, we play the best, we can get you to the NFL because you're going to play against this guy every Saturday. Uh, that's the rationale behind the move in my mind. It's not about money. Uh, Texas has shown year in, year out, that they are the number one, you know, produce, money producing school in college football. And so what really wasn't about the move, the, the money, it's more about competing and, and, and finding yourself in a good position to, to, to compete against the best. And, and we talked about the depth of the schedule that it's going to allow Texas, you know, to, to play and what the game day experience is going to be. Uh, but like you, I feel like we're getting a lot of talk about welcome to the big boys. And I know you're a Vegas guy and you, you, you read lines. And I, I read something this morning that says Texas would be favored on a neutral field to get, except against everybody in the SEC, but Georgia, a two point underdog, A&M, a two-point underdog, and then everybody's a 10-point underdog to Alabama. So I think we're already at that level where we can compete on a neutral field with these teams. Uh, it's just a matter of getting our stuff together and this brand-new head coach and with this experienced coaching staff and getting ready to go go after it. Uh, I may fight you on a few extra teams, or fight Vegas, rather, on a few extra teams that I think, I think would be really interesting to watch. But, Clint, you know – it, it, it certainly opens up possibilities for Texas and to extend their reach, certainly recruiting wise. I know you just had an analyst from 247 on this week. From the Texas side of the ball, whether you know you like it, expansion or not, or, or feel like I do, where do you see this Texas program heading two, three years from now, five years from now? Um, and, and are there any reservations about getting? No, I, I don't think there's so many, I don't think really reservations. I think that, um, and I think like Jeremy said, I think it's, it's, you know, recruiting is a lifeblood of any, any college football program. And I think that uh, we'd be silly to sit here and think that we're going to get 20, you know, 25 players out of the state of Texas every year. Um, and we can go win a national championship with, you know, 85 scholarship guys from Texas. It, it's, it's not doable. You know what I'm saying? Um, go look at where, you know, some of these quarterbacks have come from over the last couple of years, hell, Hawaii, uh, California, uh, you're, you're going to have to expand your reach regardless. Uh, but I think it goes back to being able to uh, go against these programs. I think Texas hasn't had, an, had, hasn't had an issue going against 
really, really good competition over the last couple of years. I think our problem is where there's a talent disparity. We've had an issue going against teams where there's a talent disparity. And I don't know if that's playing down to, uh, to your schedule or just playing up to the guy, you know, being able to play Texas football. You know, if you go back and again, people will argue Georgia in the Sugar Bowl. They'll, they'll argue, uh, you know, LSU. Hell, I think, I think Texas, if you go back and look at Texas, um, LSU in 2019 when the when you know LSU won their national championship I think we we had probably the the best game against them if not one of the best games against them so I don't think it's so much playing to that level I think it's playing to that level consistently consistently and if you listen to us you know you'll you'll hear me say you know the SEC West is the best conference in football um, bar none the best division in football and in the in the, the SEC is the best conference in college football um, where, where do I see us in three to five years? I, we have a coach that, um, head coach that's been, um, you know, a, a play caller in the SEC and a damn good one. Uh, we have a, uh, an offensive line coach um, that, uh, or an offensive line slash offensive coordinator um, in Kyle Flood, who has been a offensive line coach at Alabama. Um, and we have a defensive uh, line coach um, in Bo Davis that is, you know, coached at Alabama. So to me, they know what they're looking for in trench guys. And I think that's really where it starts at. Um, is in the trenches, both on the offensive and defensive side of the ball. And then you surround yourself with a good quarterback. Um, hell, you can see what Steve Sarkisian did with Mac Jones, who's a, thir- a three-star quarterback. Um, you surround yourself with a good, manageable quarterback. Um, and you get really, really talented wide receivers uh, and running backs to, to surround those guys, man. So I kind of think where we're at, I think, within the next three to five years. Um, I, I think I think we're going to, to, to play these big guys, man. And, and I think it's going to be absolutely wonderful football. These guys coming to Austin, us having an opportunity to go to Tuscaloosa, to Baton Rouge, uh, to play between the hedges. Uh, you know, hopefully you can go to, you know, Florida. Um, to me, that's what it's all about. Um, now, what does it do to the rest of college football? We'll see. Um, I know, I think, what is it? The ACC is one, one school short of, of 16. I think what the, 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 the Big Ten is what, a couple of schools short of 16. Yeah. And, and really the Pac-12 is going to have to figure out what it's going to do, maybe pick up a couple of schools. But I, uh, we'll see what happens. Um, uh, but I think right now, I think it's, you know, it's about money. One, you know, if you can make $60 million a year, um, you know, uh, per school, when it comes to media rights is what it sounds like, somewhere upwards of 60 to $75 million a year. There's no program uh, or president that's going to say, no, we're not going to allow these guys to come there. So... If I could, real quick, because because you asked me about, you know, its appearance towards the NFL, and I think a couple of things have led to that. The transfer portal, if you've watched us, I equate the transfer portal to NFL free agency without a salary cap. You know, I find a weak spot on my team. I could, I could go out in the transfer portal. I could find kids to, to plug and play. NIL. Nick Saban came down to the Texas High School Football Coaches Association and told all these high school football coaches in the state of Texas, again, it's a recruiting tool, but said that his kid, Bryce Young, has never played a down of competitive college football, meaningful college football, and is worth $1 million. So the transfer to the NFL game, I think it's more, more, not necessarily conference realignment, but more the transfer portal and name image like this has created this monster. Well, I think the Supreme Court is, and you can't get them to agree on anything. You can't get them to agree that cancer sucks. I mean, there would be like a few dissenters in that. And they categorically said, oh, NCAA is fraudulent. And and I think the winds of change have started. And I think Texas and Oklahoma just, hey, we're, we're the weather's changing. 
it's it's time to move on down the road because where we're at ain't gonna work out and and you know it sucks what what are your feelings uh, guys about how this shakes out for everybody else i mean is there anything that you're hearing because i think a, a big linchpin of whether something like the big 12 and i think you can draw the comparisons to how big east football kind of how that kind of ended and how that played out i think there's a lot of comparisons there with what the big 12 will be left with how do you guys think it shakes out for the big 12 i'll start um i to me um i think you have teams like texas tech um that are you know obviously west texas that are you know pretty close to to, to arizona um arizona state that, that bring you know both basketball and a football uh pedigree fame maybe not a large football pedigree but are, are do pretty good in basketball um i think you, you see an opportunity to texas tech to move west to the pac-12 i definitely see that um i think really kind of where you worry about with the with the big 12 is really your private schools what happens with teams like baylor um teams like tcu uh, where, where their private schools are, are, you know, are they going to be snatched up? You know, TCU's always had a really good football, you know, pretty good program or football program. You know, they've had a, a long tenure coach that's been there and Gary Patterson uh, have done really, really good against Texas. I, you know, it's one of the teams you don't want to play each year if you're Texas, you know, um, they've had our number. Um, do I think they have an opportunity to move West? Probably. I think um, kind of where the big 10, you're a big 10 guy, Al Studer, I, I, you know, there's been some thoughts that, that, you know, Kansas, maybe Iowa State would join the Big Ten. Uh, and obviously, West Virginia is kind of out of place in the Big 12. You know, that's that's a flight across halfway across the damn country. You know, uh, to me, uh, do they join the ACC? And I think the ACC may um, invite them to – or the ACC may invite West Virginia to, to join them. Um, I think that would put them at about, what, 15 or 15 schools, I believe. The one school that they're waiting on is probably Notre Dame to join them um, as a whole uh, to make them, you know, where they're at. Uh, but as far as the, the rest of the schools, it, it's up in the air, you know, and I, I think, yeah, it, it's it's a sad situation. Um, I think Texas gets blamed for a lot of, you know, uh, what happens to these other schools. Um, but at the end of the day, how long can you hold somebody's hand for? You know what I'm saying? It, you Eventually, you're going to have to earn your own keep. And I think uh, if, Oakland, if it's Oklahoma and Texas leaving the Big 12 shouldn't have caused the other, you know, 18 or really, yeah, eight teams to – to have to scurry and try to find another place, but hey, it's what they're going to have to do at this particular point. Because I think that big, honestly, the Big Twelve is going to implode unless you can find enough teams to 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 make up for um, that to keep it at a Power Five level. I think that's the problem you're going to deal with. And I think you're only going to be. It's going to end up being a Power Four. And somebody said that I think maybe an SEC network or ESPN the day this deal was was talked about is it's going to become a Power Four. You're going to have the ACC, the the SEC, the Big the I'm sorry, the Big Ten and the, and the Pac-12. And I, and I really can't see any more than 16 teams per league. And so four times 16 gives you 64, right? Are there six, 64 power four teams out there? Probably not. But I think this goes hand in hand with an expanded playoff. With, with this current construct, you can't have a 14 playoff. I think you got to expand it to that 12 team. You're going to have two or three teams per power four conference. And then you're going to have these group of five or whatever, maybe group of six now. Maybe they go out and make an additional conference. And you get a couple of teams out of that pool as well. Um, but again, I think it's, 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 it's like you said, it's going towards the, the NFL model, Stu, and, and just a couple of divisions, those division winners and the wild cards are going to come out of the what's left of those other smaller conferences. In I, my I mind. Want, but I want to add something to that real quick. And, and, and again, if Texas wasn't 
in Texas, if they weren't a national brand, if they weren't number one producing money school in the country, uh, with the way we played over the last 10 years, you know what I'm saying? You know, from, 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 the, from that Alabama national championship to currently where we're at today, we can find ourselves in that same situation. We just happen to be lucky enough to have a brand, uh, you know, uh, the number one brand, really a national brand uh, in, in a large following, you know, um, and I would say 70, 80%, 70% of those are, are made up of what, you know, Aggies would call t-shirt fans, man. Um, fans that. The, the, the comparison, of- the comparison between Michigan football and Texas football is there's we we call them Walmart Wolverine fans because they go to Walmart they buy the seven dollar Michigan shirt hey and you know they're they're the Michigan fan now they, and uh, they'll let you hear about how great their team is they can't tell you who's playing on it but those winged helmets sure look good you know <laughs> yeah uh, but again that's 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 who we are you know uh, we're, we're we're if you if you look at what Aggie's definition of a t-shirt fan is we're a t-shirt fan you know. Um, but we also grew up, you know, watching or listening to the radio, man. That's where it really started at was listening to the radio shit. Probably what early nineties, mm-hmm. oh, early nineties, late eighties, early nineties, when we started really listening to, to Texas Longhorn football on the radio or being at our grandparents on Thanksgiving day and watching that Texas A&M and Texas uh, battle um, there on Thanksgiving and then followed up by Detroit in, in Dallas. Um, to me, that's where our fandom started, you know, and then we, you know, we chose to, to go in, uh, you know, a different route, be in the military. Uh, but we've always kept that fandom. We've always kept that love. We've always been really, really passionate about University of Texas football. Um, so it's going to be out there. But I, like I said, if we were in TCU's and Baylor's situation where it came to money and you didn't have that national brand, do I think Texas would be in the same situation? Absolutely. Hello, everyone. This is Chris Van Dyne from North Coast Sports. You'll hear me here every week during football season with my main man, Stu, from the StuCast. And just want to let everyone know we got a lot going on at North Coast. we got Power Sweep coming up. Going to be releasing that at the end of August. And get on board for Power Sweep at ncsports.com. Definitely check out our podcast on ncsports.com. And like I said, you'll hear me every week giving out some of the best handicapping picks that you will get in the industry uh, with Stu and Bobcat every week here, as well as at North Coast Sports, ncsports.com. And we're looking forward to football season. All right, uh, let's move on. I mean, this Texas football team, we haven't, we've talked about the program uh, and the SEC stuff, but this team is really interesting. Uh, you already mentioned Sark comes in from Alabama, and I know a lot of people wanted to pan this higher, but I thought it, it was a home run. I thought it was the perfect guy to bring in, especially for where you, you kind of look at Texas and you want them to start heading. And then he fills out his staff with Kyle Flood, who you got, he's, he's phenomenal on the O-line. And Pete Kwiatkowski from Washington, who I think doesn't get enough praise, but as a defensive coordinator, Washington's defense has been a calling card. And, and you folks will see it week two when they go into Ann Arbor and snuff them out. Um, but, I mean, great coaching. I mean, this is exciting time 
how do you guys feel? And I'll, I'll let you lead off, Jeremy. How, how do you feel about Sark coming in? And what are what are the changes versus him and Herman? So, so Tom Herman left the number two scoring offense in the nation last year, right? So a lot of those were, were 59 points against University of Texas El Paso. Uh, there was 63 that we put up against uh, Kansas State. There was 50-something that we put up against Colorado. But I think bringing in Steve Sarkeesian – will allow you to tighten that up a little bit. But I think the home run hire is the one you just talked about. And that's Pete Kwiatkowski. Uh, this defense with his infusion, uh, again, this is a this is a defense that's had three different defensive coordinators in three years now. They had Todd Orlando, then Chris Ash last year, now Pete Kwiatkowski. So guys like DeMarvin Overshone and Josh Thompson, who've been who are seniors on this team, have played for different, you know, secondary coaches year in and year out. So what I think PK is going to do is take this group. And he's going to hold him to that Washington standard. Again, he's a talent developer. Like Washington doesn't get the best players in the country, right? So they develop three stars and, and, and put out a product that, like you said, consistently plays good defense. Like I think Clint has a stat that, that Pete average points against per year at Washington was less than 21 points. If you give Steve Sarkeesian an opportunity to take this offense with these weapons, B. John Robinson, if you saw what Casey Thompson did in, in the second half of, of the Colorado game in the Alamo Bowl, and you see how this offensive line started to jail in the run game, now they do still need work in the pass protection game. And, and the receivers that we have, and, and Jordan Whittington and Xavier Worthy and this kid Troy O'Meara, who tore his ACL last year in fall camp. But if you look at his body next to – there's a picture of him next to DeAndre Hopkins and their trainer – if you can see this kid, he wears 21. I'm not saying he's Calvin Johnson, but there's a reason why he wears 21 and his body looks identical. Uh, but so he had a, a black jersey on in spring ball, but he was able to make plays. So I think like you hit the nail on the head. I think this offense with a little bit of infusion with Steve Sarkeesian, with Kyle Flood, you know, leading this group of linemen and then PK, you know, controlled this defense. I think we're in a really good spot. Clint, I, I think it starts and stops first conversation. Who Who's playing quarterback taking over for Ellinger? I think anybody who watched the Alamo Bowl last year and saw Casey Thompson just dismantle Colorado. Again, that was under a different offensive scheme. I, I don't know how well he's going to translate over into what Sark wants to do. But in my mind's eye, just from an outsider perspective, I'd certainly be more willing to roll the dice versus – you know, throwing Hudson card in there immediately. Is that the general feeling or is there still that 50, 50 split about, you know, who's really, cause in the spring game, I, I don't know that you can say either one really different, you know, differentiated themselves coming out of that. Yeah. So if you look at uh, kind of where we're, where we're sitting at right now, uh, Casey Thompson's job probably to lose Hudson card's job to win. If we were to look at it today, I think me and Jeremy just recently put out a YouTube uh, video uh, specifically to that Hudson card, Casey Thompson. It's called the Arms Race. Um, if you want to go kind of watch that one, it's definitely there. It kind of goes through what uh, really Steve Sarkeesian is looking for in the quarterback as far as leadership, um, arm talent, um, game manager. Um, so, but right now, it's nice to be in a situation where you actually have a quarterback competition. I think that's what is most enjoyable to us because you haven't had one over the last four years. Um, Sam Ellinger was Tom Herman's guy. It, it, first and foremost, he wasn't. He was never gonna really. If, if Sam Ellinger had a bad game, Tom Herman wasn't gonna sit him. You know, uh, like you would see. You know, Riley sit Spencer Rattler in the middle of a Red River rivalry game. It wasn't gonna happen. And I think uh, competition. It, it, you know, competition. It, it makes guys better. And I think that's currently where we're at. 
Um, do I think Steve Sarkeesian is going to wait probably until about two weeks prior to the to the first game, maybe a little sooner to, to, to name a starter? Absolutely. But I think it comes down to really um, him making the decision. But I think the 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 football players across, you know, uh, the University of Texas football team are going to help him make that decision. And I think currently right now, when you look at leadership, you look at, um, you know, if you were to kind of stack them on top of each other right now, I think Casey Thompson's job really to lose and Hudson Carr's jobs to win. I think at this particular point. Jeremy kind of hit it on the head too earlier. And I, I think, you know, whoever wins quarterback competition is going to be competent. I think, uh, you know, maybe you take a few more growing pains if, if Carr does win it. But what you surround them with is a wide receiver core who it might be the weakest link on offense. I, I, that's the one that kind of like is Joshua Moore. Is, is he really that guy, you know? Uh, Xavier Worthy, a guy who, you know, flipped from Bama to Michigan to Texas. Is, is, what's his story? I hear he can run a, you know, 10-2, you know, 100-meter, uh, allegedly. Um, Bijan Robinson is still there. But this offensive line, even though you lose Cosme, these guys can run block. I, I don't know if pass blocking's there yet, but but certainly they can run block. Is, is this going to be a 50-50 split, Jeremy? Are you do you see like okay, we got Roshan Johnson. We got, hell we picking up Keelan Robinson and I I I told uh one cuz Keelan was supposed to head to Michigan State and Mel Tucker's treating the transfer portal like it's Costco. He was supposed to go to uh Michigan State to interview, but nah, he just zipped over to Austin and he got locked up. That's a Alvin Kamara, and I'm not calling him Alvin, but he's a Kamara type guy. What super fast can be used out of the backfield, very specialized. Roshan Johnson there backing up uh, uh, Bijan. I mean, is this going to be a run heavy offense? Are we? Do you guys expect them to slow it down and and kind of like Alabama did in certain parts of the year where they said. You just can't stop our run, and we'll we'll throw it here and there, and and do that occasionally. Uh, Steve Sarkeesian said that at Big Twelve Media Days too. He said, "You know, I have a kid in Bijan Robinson who I will give the ball no less than twenty carries per game. Like he will average twenty carries per game, and there will be games when he will carry the football thirty times per game. And so he understands what his strengths are with this RPO offense. I mean, Clint spent some time." you know, at some of his coaching clinics online, you know, I'm trying to understand the RPO game and how it progresses to play action. And so it's very, very simple. And like you said, regardless of who is leading this team at quarterback, his, his, his offense is very quarterback friendly. Like when they go to the line of scrimmage based upon the secondary's looks, they know exactly who progression one, two, and three are. But to answer your question, Bijan is going to be the bell cow. He's going to get the football as much as this offensive line can, can push him. And like you said, not only does Bijan get 20 carries per game, but he, but I went back and watched Colorado's uh, Alamo bowl yesterday in the bus, the big runs that he makes after contact, like 15 yard run, 41 yard run, 53 yard run, consistently big play, put a hat on a hat, just like you said, get into that second level and let this kid work. And then again, it's going to create a, a like these quarterbacks, regardless of inexperience, have the best friend they could possibly have in number five in this offensive line's ability to run block. And hopefully 
like we feel like with Devondre Sweat, Keandre Coborn, jo- Jacoby Jones, Moro Jomo, this 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 defensive liner, Bo Davis, should should take some steps this year. And we hope Iron Shoppers Iron, and we hope their pass protection game gets 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 solidified as well. But I think Bijan's going to be your guy uh, again. Down distance is going to determine that. But but I think you're going to see him get the ball. Steve Kisarki has said it 20 to 30 times a game. Clint, last year, Texas kind of reminded me of Ole Miss in the sense of it's all gas, no brakes offensively. Keep up with us if you can. But not a ton of long, sustained drives, especially early in the season. And it felt like that really played into – I mean, Texas should not be giving up 60 points to or 50 points to Texas Tech, you know, and, and TCU, even though they're good, 35 – but, but by the end of the season, it, it seemed like the light switch came on and, and there was a nicer tempo. They finally found a balance. Do you think this year uh, this defense is going to be able to show what they showed late, late in last season? The, the glimpses, you know, Deshaun Jamison, certainly he, he pops. He, he's a guy I don't think he's getting enough uh, love by any stretch. Um, you know, some of the transfers you brought in, you know, you got to replace Osai, but these guys figure to be on the field a little bit less. Do you think that translates into a much better showing as, even though it's first year with PK? Yeah, I think it comes down to complimentary football, um, complimentary football. And, and, and again, that all gas, no breaks from, from, from Steve Sarkeesian is that he's trying to score every time we get, you know, every time you get a snap, he's trying to score. So yeah, obviously as far as going slow, um, do I think kind of going back to this offensive question real quick? I think it's all. I think it's going to be a lot of 12, 12 personnel, um, two tight ends running the ball, uh, play action, um, RPO stuff. But at the same time, he's trying to score, score, score. That's what he's trying to do. That's that's what Steve Sarkeesian's MO is. Pete Kwiatkowski is the same thing. He's he's really aggressive. Um, I think he's going to be aggressive. You're going to see guys that are going to be you know three down linemen, four down linemen. Hell, it may you know if you go back and look at Washington versus Alabama. Um, not too long ago in the college football playoff, you'd have seen probably like six or seven guys standing up um, on the line. Uh, but I think it comes down to complimentary football. And I, I think that's what Steve Sarkeesian and, and Pete Kwiatkowski kind of bring together. Um, when you're talking about a defensive coordinator, you're looking at somebody that was up there in the Northwest for a long, long time. And there's not a bunch of guys that went out there and, you know, tried to just steal them away from there because they figured he would never leave. Um, I think he took this as an opportunity to, to, to grow himself as a defensive coordinator. Uh, I think he wanted to, to come to one of the best uh, offensive leagues um, to, to really try his hand at it um, because of his success at Washington. Uh, but, yeah, I think it all comes down to what's happened in the trenches. And right now our defensive line is probably the best it's been in a long, long time. And I think that's really not just a two from a two deep, but a three deep. Uh, being able to rotate guys out, but it also uh, bringing in guys from Alabama, you know, Notre Dame, uh, LSU, and Ray Thornton uh, with championship caliber really, really helps that defensive uh, defense defense out as well. And I, they they brought some leadership traits from those places, uh, from those national championship winning places. Uh, but I think that defensive line is what's going to help your really your your secondary. And I think currently right now you have a bunch of juniors and seniors um, back there. I think we have one safety um, in Jaron Thompson, who's a sophomore. Um, outside of that, you have some you have some seasoned guys back there that played a lot of snaps. Um, but I think it's really just putting it together. Defensive line coming out really really playing strong um, in the trenches is going to allow those defensive sec- that defensive secondary be able to make plays on the ball um, by rushing the you know obviously rushing the quarterback. I think right now if I was looking at a weakness. 
Um, on the defensive side of the ball, I would probably say our linebacker core at this particular point, just because, like Jeremy said, we they played in three different schemes uh, for three different coaches. And I think right now, if you look at the linebacker, it's kind of figuring out who who's gonna who's gonna obviously start. Marvin Overshone will be obviously one of the starters there, um, who came out, you know, played linebacker. He was a safety coming out of high school, big guy, started playing safety last year. Uh, you know, under Chris uh, Chris Ash. Uh, did really good, but he started making, you could see he, he kind of started slowing down for him uh, towards the end of the year. It's really what pieces are going to be working with him at the linebacker core that's really going to make this defense go. You know, I I think we, we have to get to that time where it's, it's prediction time uh, before we hit you with some quick hitters. Uh, I, I look at this team and, you know, realistically, you're a fumble against TCU, a minute 44 against Iowa State and 74 overtimes against Oklahoma, you're not that far away from an undefeated season last year. And, and last year's team, I think, probably against this one, I'm, I'm more excited about this team than I, I was last year. It, what's the ceiling? What's the floor? Where do you guys see them? Jeremy, I'll let you start. So I guess the ceiling for me, uh, I, I've said it multiple times on our show. I see us going, having two losses. Again, you had your chance to beat Oklahoma last year when Spencer Rattler was being broken as a freshman. Uh, they returned a lot of guys on defense. Alex Grinch has got their guys grinding. Uh, they, they were just as successful in their transfer portal as we were, you know, trying to fill their holes that they have. And then you're talking about the lost Iowa State last year was in Austin. They've lost no one. They returned 20 out of 22 starters. Now you got to go to Ames. So the ceiling for me is 10 and two. I'm a guy that says you got to win the game, the teams. Like I don't anticipate, or I hope there's not a TCU loss. I hope there's not a close game with Texas tech and Baylor. I hope you beat the teams that you're supposed to beat. So right now, my prediction is Texas loses two games, two football games in the regular season. And those are in the red river rivalry and on the road at Iowa state. Where are you at? I can't argue with Jeremy. I think we're kind of right there. Oklahoma is probably one of the better teams, if not the best team in college football this year uh, with what they got coming back in Spencer Rattler. I would definitely put them at one and two if I had a vote um, in any poll. Um, like I said, Iowa State coming back with 20 starters out of 22. Um, Brock Purdy sometimes get a little shaky. Uh, I think if, if, if he can hold it together in a game, Brock Purdy can hold it together in a game and, and not turn over the ball. I think Iowa State has really good chance of, of, of you know, coming out. Uh, of the Big 12 as a champion. Um, but right now, I, I see us as currently at, at two losses. Um, I, I think the biggest thing for Texas is making it to the Red River, Red River rivalry with wins. Um, you got to go to at TCU um, in the, looks like the, the fifth week um, of the season um, after you've played Louisiana, Arkansas, Rice, and Texas Tech. Um, obviously, Fayetteville, Arkansas is going to be a, is, you know, that's a, a tough Arkansas. Game. That's a tough game, man. Going up to Fayetteville, uh, one of your Southwest Conference foes. Uh, you haven't played in a long time. Uh, Woo Pig Suey is going to be pretty excited up there. It's, it yeah. sounds like a night game um, there on ESPN. So that's one's going to be pretty exciting. It, and Louisville is definitely not, you know, for this, Louisville is definitely not a pushover. You know, they, they, they finished the season uh, really well last year and they upset Iowa State. But when you're looking at this Texas team, I think with Steve Sarkeesian and Pete Kwiatkowski, um, I think they're going to be able to get players to play it at a, at a level of consistency that we have not seen from Texas in a long time. And that's being able to uh, beat the teams you're supposed to beat, uh, that you're more talented 
than. Um, and then I think they're going to give a, a Iowa State a run for their money in, in Ames. And, and obviously the Oklahoma game is going to be close every year. Um, I think uh, it's a possibility that if you lose two games in the Big 12, you still have an opportunity to go to the Big 12 championship. So I think that's if you if you if you lose those two games against Iowa and Oklahoma and they happen to choke up somewhere along the line, there's an opportunity that Texas does make it to the Big 12 championship again this year before they maybe exit towards the SEC next year. I got, I, we're running short on time, but I got to get to it. Last weekend, Malik Carr transfers from Minnesota, Texas. We're talking some basketball now. And I immediately put it $100 uh, at 12 to 1 on Texas to win the national championship. Hook them. Uh, this Texas team, I think people are sleeping on how big a, we talk about coaching upgrades. Chris Beard in my mind, is a huge coaching upgrade over Shaka Smart, first of all. And then second of all, what they've done in the transfer portal, uh, ESPN top 100 transfers, they got three out of the top five. And these guys are no BS, real players. Trey Mitchell could have, in my mind, is a first-round draft pick uh, right now, today. Uh, and you put him down low, you, re you return a few pieces, you get some nice pieces Carr was the final point in my mind, being that point guard to solidify the position. Where are you guys at? I, I mean, are you just as pumped for basketball season um, as I am? Because I feel like Texas is about to be really freaking good and fun to watch. Uh, I'll go first because Jeremy gets really excited about this, man. And Jeremy's, Jeremy's number one, probably number two is is basketball. He he follows – I mean, I follow Texas basketball. I watch Texas basketball, you know, and, but I'm not about – Am I as passionate about that basketball team as I'm about the football team? Probably not. Uh, to me, it comes down to um, you get a bunch of guys from the transfer portal that are, you know, obviously double-digit guys. To me, is how they how do they play together? If you look at how the, you know, to go as an example, right now you got the Olympics, Olympics going on, right? And you oh, have yeah. a bunch of NBA players that are out there playing um, that are losing to France. NBA, bas NBA basketball players, and they've lost to France. And and, and I think it comes down to to um, how fast they can really come together as a team, um, how those five that he decides he's going to start um, come together as a team. And, and to me, that's what it comes down to, because you can have all the talent in the world in on, a, on a basketball court, uh, but it's really how do you play, how do you play through each other um, to get the best out of each other? And I think that's what it comes down to. And I'll kind of leave the rest of it to Jeremy. I, I guess in your words, uh, just look at Kentucky and, and that can, that can be what happens to you. Jeremy, what do you think? So, like I, like we've talked about on our show, and Clint, Clint, Clint hit it on the head. Like this is my, this is my squad. Uh, so when you lost Kai Jones, Greg Brown, Jericho Sims, and all these guys on, on and 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 Matt Coleman, you lost a lot, right? And, and, and with and and when we lost that first round game to Abilene Christian, me and Clint were actually at a seven on seven tournament in Dallas, and. and the next week they fired Chaka Smart and they lost those four kids. They decided they were going to go on and, and play professional. And, and, and you guys got, got guys like Donovan Williams transferring out of the program. And so we didn't really have a basketball team in, in April. And then to see what Chris Beard has done, and you hit the nail on the head with Marcus Carr and Trey Mitchell uh, leading this team. And, and there's seven guys on this current roster that average double figures in points. And, and, and the depth of this roster is unbelievable. We had four guys that returned. They were Brock Cunningham, Jace Febris, Andrew Jones, and Courtney Rainey. One of those guys may start with Christian Bishop, Timmy Allen, Marcus Carr, 
Trey Mitchell, you're talking the depth of this roster. You're not going to have – Clint talks about playing – or has talked about playing seven, eight guys. I think you're going to utilize this roster. You're going to play 10 or 11 guys, and he, he's worried about minutes, making sure, like you said, that, that they gel together. And how to do that is to, to get the minutes on the floor together. But I think this is the deepest roster I've ever seen the University of Texas have by far. And, and when you're talking about the, the struggles that Texas has had recently, it's with scoring the basketball. They're not going to have a problem scoring the basketball. And Chris Beard's bell cow at Texas Tech was taking a group and, and, and teaching them tenacity and defense. So I think that the group that he brought in has the ability to score a lot of points. And I think he has the game plan to, to stop them on the other end. So they're preseason one or two. And, and I, 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 I may, if we had it here, I may join you in putting a hundred dollars at 12 to one. I, I feel, I, on, I, I, on I feel Texas like basketball. an idiot though. I, I've got friends that have them at 20 and 30 to one. Um, and they got it earlier in the season, hoping Carr would show up and he did. Um, that hook them. That's all I can say. Uh, real quick, some quick questions before we leave. Uh, just give me your answer and we'll move on. Team that is going to be the most surprising in the Big 12 this year. Clint, you go ahead. I'll go. Uh, TCU. TCU. Um, again, Gary Patterson always puts together a really, really good team. They got a quarterback that's returning there. Um, yeah, they got a lot that's returning as well as far as, um, you know, uh, I can't remember the number of starters that are returning, but they have quite a bit of few. But I'm going to say TCU has an opportunity to do really well uh, this year in the Big 12. And our same TCU, Max Duggan coming back, quarterback experience. We have nightmares about this kid and Gary Patterson's defense. And I just, I just see that those four teams are – They got 18, 18 returning starters back on, on uh, both defense off the side of the ball. Big, that's, that's a lot of returning starters. So, I'll give you this. Oklahoma, do they win the Big 12? Do they win the national championship? Yes, no. Yes, they win the Big 12. No, they didn't win the national championship. I think they win the Big 12. Oklahoma wins the Big 12. They, they win their first playoff game, but they do not win the national championship. All right. Do, do you have Georgia winning the national championship or are you going somewhere else? Alabama. I'm Alabama too. Oh, roll damn tide. All right. Well, you're going to fit in great in the yep. SEC as soon as you get out of the Big East. Uh, <laughs> it'll be exciting. Uh, Jeremy Clint, I can't thank you guys enough for the time. Where can people find you? I know I found you just surfing YouTube. Um, you got a Twitter. You got a YouTube. You're putting out content constantly. And uh, it, it is a fun conversation because you guys go everywhere. I mean, last time I was in there chat when you guys – I think you were talking about Oregon football. How do we get there? You know, Clint will be talking about, you know, Maryland and Mike Loxley, what he's doing. Like, you guys talk about everything, not just Texas or Big 12 related. So it, it's a pretty cool show. Where can we find you guys? Yeah, you can find us on YouTube. If you just type in Texas Football Talk, you can find us there. Um, yeah, check out, our, check out our shows. I think the biggest thing that we do is not so much our tape stuff. It's really our live shows. Um, in, in the, it, to me, it's, it's like a big party, you know what I'm saying? It, it, again, our, our, we're fanatics, we're fans, just like everybody else. We just happen to, to host a show a couple of times a week with doing, doing lives. And, and we try to generate as much conversation from, from the message boards, you know, uh, not 
just what we want to talk about. Sometimes we'll go into those shows and we'll have an idea of, hey, these are the three or four things we want to talk about. And then we kind of get the, you know, the, the message board going. And then uh, we kind of end it with the message board. And I think that's kind of where we're different at is, is really the lives. We try to get everybody involved in doing that. Uh, you can find us on Twitter at TX Football Talk, um, on Facebook at Texas Football Talk, and on Instagram at Texas Football Talk. You want to add anything to that, Jeremy? No, you hit the nail on the head. What makes us different from everybody else is, and, and Stu, you kind of talked about it. Why did we start our channel? Because we wanted to educate the fan base. You know, we, we like Clint said, when I was six and he was four, we were listening to Eric Metcalf run the, run the football back against Texas A&M. We were babies at our grandmother's house. That's where our fandom began. And over the years, we've talked football to each other on the phone. And, and that's basically what our channel is all about, is, is building a big family of Texas Longhorn fans uh, coming together a couple of times a week to, 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 to talk ball. Yeah, I mean, uh, Texas, Texas football talk. Texas football hits different. Uh, that is for sure. Um, thank you guys. We'll be checking you out. We'll be coming back. More Big 12 talk. Uh, Big East football, it's back. We'll talk about that. And uh, much more. We've got a debate with the Bobcat. We'll see how that goes. A uh, lot more to come this week. But until next time, for Jeremy, for Clint, Texas football talk. Check them out. This is Stu. We'll catch you next time.